17 years ago, I had a meeting with a gentleman named Rusty Keeley, and I shared with him that I did not know if I had what it took to become a motivational speaker, to build this business, to touch lives around St. Louis, around Missouri, maybe even as far as Illinois. And he challenged me to believe in myself, to cast a vision for impacting lives, not only in our own backyard, but around the world. Since that time, we've had the opportunity and the honor of partnering with more than 2,000 clients in 50 states, a couple dozen countries, a couple million people. We've released now a couple, that's two, number one national best-selling books and have this remarkable podcast. Thank you for listening to it. Because of Rusty's vision, because of his belief, because of his challenge for me to imagine this impact and to pursue it diligently. It has impacted my life, and not only that, but Rusty is a sponsor today of this podcast. Keeley Companies now does more than $500 million in annual revenue through construction and infrastructure technology, wireless logistics, and development solutions. It's their world-class, people-first mentality that makes the biggest impact. I've seen this firsthand in my life. The team, the Keeleyans now feel in their lives and those that are benefiting from Rusty and the Keeley work experience it in their lives. If you want to learn more about Rusty Keeley and that business, I encourage you to check out KeeleyCompanies.com. KeeleyCompanies.com or better yet, why not listen to the Live Inspired podcast where I celebrate our relationship. Check it out. It's episode 296. You'll experience there an in-depth conversation with my friend, the CEO of Keeley Companies. His name is Rusty Keeley. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. So I have a question for you. You may want to write it down because we're going to ask it several times today, and hopefully we're going to begin answering it. The question is this. What do you want to do before you die? Uh, let me say it again. I, I know some of you are still sipping back coffee or whatever else might be in your mug right now. I'm not here to judge you, but I will ask you this question again. What do you want to do before you die? What places do you want to visit? What feelings do you want to experience? What words do you want to share or hear? What do you want to create? What do you want to witness? Whose life do you want to change? What do you want to leave behind? Whatever it might be, the question is, what do you want to do before you die? It was this question and then answering this question that radically changed my guest's life today. His name is Ben Nimpton. Now, Ben grew up in Victoria, Canada. It's a gorgeous place. If you've never been there, maybe that's one of the things you should do before you die. Go to Victoria. So shout out for my followers and friends and family hanging out in Victoria today. Great spot. That's where he grew up. He was successful academically and athletically and socially, had everything going for him. But in college, things began to change and he began to slide and he began to withdraw and he began to experience anxiety and then depression. 
And as he was pulling back in life and pulling back from school and pulling back from friends, a couple of his buddies challenged him to answer a question. So, Ben, what do you want to do before you die? And they began to make a bucket list. The four of them sat around eating some pizza, having some fun, coming up with some crazy ideas that they wanted to accomplish before they died. I mean, just crazy things like riding a ball, hanging out with Oprah, partying with Will Ferrell, hanging out with Barack Obama and shooting baskets with him. They made a list of 100 things. And here's the wild thing about the bucket list these kids made. As of the time that I interviewed Ben Nimpton, 93 of the items had been crossed off his list. They began to not only dream of what was possible, but began to move forward and accomplish what seemed previously to be utterly impossible. It's a great story. And if it ends there, eh, that's really cool. But one of the reasons I wanted to bring this to you today is what they found to be more so meaningful along this journey around North America, around the United States, and then around the world was not only checking things off their bucket list, which is great, but every time someone would help them achieve something, they in turn would help that person knock something off their bucket list. What Ben and his friends recognized is the real joy of life was not only in achieving what you thought you wanted, but the real joy was in helping someone else achieve what they desired, not just success, in other words, but true significance. It's a phenomenal conversation. We're going to travel the world together with my friend and soon to be yours. His name is Ben Nimpton. Before I do so, here's my challenge to you. My friends, buckle up. Get ready for the ride. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you know, I'm not a big guy into shame, but shame on you. You should subscribe to the podcast right now. So subscribe to the podcast. It's a way to ensure it ends up in your feed. That's cool. If you haven't shared the podcast, whether that's digitally, you're tuning in through social media, or you haven't told your friends that you you know, hang out with or work with or hey, go to Zoom meetings with, Come on, people. Here's an opportunity for you to share with them what you're tuning into today. So share with your friends that you're checking out the Live Inspired Podcast, and so should they. And then the third thing, live this message. As you listen to Ben's story, make this your story. Make your bucket list. Do so not only for yourself or your your spouse, your partner, but do so for your community. I'm going to share with you near the end a way that you can do exactly that. You won't want to miss it, and you won't want to miss the conversation with my friend and now yours. His name is Ben Nimpton. Ben, welcome to Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Well, man, you know, I, I've been looking up to you. I've been following your work for quite a while. You just heard me brag about the work that you've done in the past but I, I always like to begin with this question. If you meet someone for the first time in a grocery store or outside of a restaurant and they say, hey, man, uh, Ben, what, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? So let me begin with that question. Ben, what do you do for a living when that question comes your way? <laughs> well, I feel like it changes all the time. You know, at this point, I guess, and I actually don't know how to answer this now because I don't feel comfortable saying I'm a motivational speaker. I just, I, something about it for me just doesn't, it, it, it feels like uh, I have a picture of a motivational speaker and it's not me, <laughs> but I have been starting to say, you know, that I'm a speaker because that's, that's what I do. And it's what I've been doing for the last consistently, if you look, the last three, four years is speaking 
full-time. I didn't intend to be a speaker. I, uh, I think much like yourself, you know, it just organically happened over time. Um, I got invited to speak. Oh, I did a TEDx talk and I really didn't want to do it because I thought this is going to be a lot of work. It's going to be on the internet forever. And I, I know that it's something that like I had some fear around that, which made me think, oh crap, I guess I need to do this uh, because it's something that I'm kind of afraid of. And so I did and, and, and I got invited to speak after someone saw my TEDx talk. And then from there, more people asked me and, and it just was organically grew from there. So, so I've been speaking, you know, about a hundred plus times a year the last you know couple of years and and so that's taken up most of my time um but i also you know am an author and producer and try and take time to to live life you know in between <laughs> well, we're going to talk about living life in between for the majority of our time and we're going to begin celebrating the life not that you're living right now but the, the one that led to you living the life that you're living right now take us all the way up to i think the, one of the most beautiful parts of the entire world man you're not from St. Louis, Missouri, the gateway to the West where I live. You are from British Columbia, Victoria. Beautiful, beautiful place, man. Just talk about growing up as a kid up in BC. I had a friend visit from Berkeley one time and he said to me, this is when I was in high school. And he said, this is Pleasantville. You know, it was pristine, very safe. People were pretty health conscious and, uh, you know, we wouldn't lock the door. And uh, I walked to, to high school and I went to university in my hometown. I was, uh, rugby was big in Victoria and it's, you know, because the national team trained there. And so it was the sort of epicenter of rugby Canada. And, and, and so it was sort of, I always say like rugby is the third biggest sport behind hockey and hockey, right? So it was just, you had to play hockey. And then when you realized you weren't good at it, you went on to other sports. And so I, I, I played rugby and I uh, got to the point where I actually made the U19 national team. We were getting ready to go to the World Cup, which was in Paris, France. And I played fly half, which is the position that's like the field goal kicker right. and the quarterback. So it was a lot of pressure. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to just succeed. I got an academic scholarship to university. And I was, for whatever reason, I always put that type of pressure on myself. And so although it was, it was an idyllic place to grow up and I had an idyllic childhood, when I hit my first year at university, um, I started worrying about all of these different things. I worried about the World Cup and missing field goals. You know, I started to get anxiety. I started to lose sleep. I started to put, you know, I was putting pressure on myself to succeed academically because I had a scholarship. And all of these things contributed to me sliding into a depression. Hmm. And this was a brand new feeling for me. You know, I was uh, up to this point, a type personality, loved being social, a lot of friends and support, a great support system and family. But I, my anxiety stopped me from going to school. So I drive to school and then I just couldn't get out of the car at the parking lot. I just drove back home. Were your, your parents familiar with what was happening or were you keeping this to yourself? I mean, they were because it was apparent, you know, it, it got to the point where they would drive me to school and I was like, I can't go to school today. And they drive me back home. And so I was crippled by indecision in this, in this feeling of anxiety and depression. And so that indecision would ultimately be my choice of not doing whatever that thing was. So I ended up not being able to go to rugby practice. And so I got mm -hmm. dropped from the national rugby team. I, I dropped out of school just because... 
I didn't go to class. Um, I ended up not being able to really leave the house. I just stayed in my parents' house and, um, you know, friends would come over and try and lift my spirits or take me out to do something. And ultimately, ultimately just kind of faded to the point where I was just a, a, a shut in at my parents' house. And I would just go for one or two walks a day because my parents insisted that I get some fresh air. And so, so all of this was like very, is this key, uh, downward spiral that I experienced and uh, pretty, pretty scary for me because I didn't understand why I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any context as to, you know, what was causing this, nor did I know that other people experienced it as well. In fact, you know, my friends, you know, had, as I learned more later on, had been through similar experiences. So it, it wasn't until I started talking about what I was going through to my friends and started to realize that they had been through similar things. I started to, um, you know, I, my friends rallied to pull me out of the house to go work in a new town for the summer. I got a job. I felt some confidence. What, I started you're 19 thinking. years old or so at this point. Ben. Yeah, I was. Yeah, early. We usually we go to university a bit later in Canada where we're a little slower developing than for you guys. <laughs> I was uh, 20 or so. And so, um, you know, I, I started to get a little bit of my zest back for life. And slowly I started to realize that the people I surrounded myself actually made a huge impact in how I felt. And so I've heard you say that a couple of times yeah. and you wrote about that a bit. Yeah. Were you surrounding yourself before 18, 19 with the wrong crowd or was it just, nah, John, they, they were normal kids, but I found the one of the ways to get out of this anxiety, depression trap that I was stuck in was to be with people that elevated me every time I was with them. Great question. So they weren't the bad crowd. They were great friends. You know, they were doing cool things, but when I started to try and surround myself with people that were really ambitious or going after things that uh, and achieving things that were pretty incredible. Uh, I started to think, wow, they did that. I wonder what I could do. So for instance, a, a friend of mine, and, and he, at the time he was more of an acquaintance. He was in high school when I was in high school. And that's really how I knew him. He started a clothing line out of nowhere. And I was blown away. It was the coolest clothing line I'd you know, seen that anyone ever create. He didn't have any experience in fashion. I, I, I just said, hey, is there any way I can help? And I started to try and get him in different blogs, right? And, and, I, and I was successful in getting him in a few different blogs. And I thought, wow, like that wasn't as hard as I thought. And I was energized by this thing that he was doing. So I thought I need to do something like that, you know? So this guy that started this clothing line triggered me to think, what do I want to do? Because he made, he expanded my, my, my thought, my universe of what was possible. So I thought he made a clothing line. What do I want to do? And I thought, <laughs> I want, I want to make a movie. And that's when I called this filmmaker from the neighborhood and his name was Johnny, who I'd seen him post videos on Facebook of him and his friends. And I thought, I want to make a, a movie like that. And I called him up really out of the blue. I mean, he ignored my call for the first couple of times because he didn't know who it was. And I said, Johnny, you make movies. Let's, let's make a movie this summer. And serendipitously, his friend Dave had come up to him and said, hey, uh, you know, they were talking about making some sort of movie. And his older brother approached me uh, I, separately and said, hey, let's, we should do something. I said, right. I, we're talking with your brother. <laughs> this so is that's such how it started. 
childlike, and I mean, this is praise, childlike vision. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not saying like, I want to make a movie uh, with these characters and this outcome. It's just this broad idea of getting together, having some fun and making a movie. Let's go. So yep. you get exactly. together with these guys and you start brainstorming ideas. Do you remember a few of the ideas you came up with? Well, at, at first we, we thought, you know, let's sail a pirate ship around the world. Let's drive a dump <laughs> truck across Canada and collect pennies for charity. You know, we, 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 we couldn't figure out what we wanted to do and what, what, what the movie was going to be about. We kept getting excited about all these ideas. And then someone said, well, why don't we just do all of these things? And that's how we started to think about the bucket list as a list of all the things we wanted to do. Now, another kind of point of serendipity, Johnny was a freshman at university sitting in English class, got assigned a poem as we're talking about this called The Buried Life. And this poem articulated this communal feeling that we felt of feeling buried. All of these things that we were excited about, why had we never done them? You know, we talked about doing these things. We'd never done them because they were buried. And we thought this guy, a poet in 1852, articulated the same feeling. And so we thought, well, we're not the first people to feel like this. Let's call this film, this, this project, The Buried Life. And then we thought, well, then how do we keep on burying these dreams? And we decided to ask this question, what do you want to do before you die? Which was our device to get right to the things that were important to us. If we're going to die one day, what are the things that we want to do? And the answer to that question was the bucket list. Man, there's so much in your simple answer that we need to unpack. The the first place where I think I want to begin is that poem seems like it comes directly out of Dead Dead Poet Society. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. so relevant, not only to whatever Matthew Arnold was going through, I think that's the name of the poet in 1852, but it's like he's speaking to the modern woman and the modern man about the challenges and the pain and the dreams and the, the concern for living an unremarkable life that so many of us struggle with every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I, when I heard that from you, I went and read it from the source. It's a beautiful poem. Is there a line from that poem that just jumps off at you? It like really grabbed you when you were. Uh, yeah. So there was, the was specifically sent to us by Johnny because he knew we wouldn't read the whole poem probably. Right. <laughs> no, but, yeah, but they were, but often the world's most crowded streets, but often in the din of strife, there rises an unspeakable desire after the knowledge of our buried life. And that's how we felt we had started to tap into those things that we had always wanted to do. And you, you get, you get energized by those things. And, uh, but inevitably the day to day will bury those things. Mm. And so other things pop up that are more important. You know, this is just, and, and, and it's interesting looking at some of the research that's come out lately that we can talk about, about why this happens, but it's human nature to, push those personal goals. And so this feeling um, continues to get suppressed. And so it's, it's about, and there's other, this other line. And, you know, I talked about this when I did my commencement address, cause I just thought it was perfect for kids moving from college into their next phase of life. It's just tr- tracking your true original course. This was our true original course was, you know, going after these things, these bucket list items that we truly wanted to do that we would regret not doing if we died tomorrow. And so 
we just thought, wow, this gentleman in his 50s in England, Matthew Arnold, the poet, in 1852, <laughs> if, if he's feeling this way, we're not the first. So that's, right. that's why we thought we're going to borrow this name, the Buried Light, even though, you know, we thought, is it, is it, is it too obscure? Is it too dark? We thought, no, it's, it has a deeper meaning and that's important. And so we stuck, we stuck with that. And, and then we thought, okay, let's go after this list and then let's help other people accomplish their bucket list items so I'm, as I'm we travel. really curious about that. I can imagine a couple 20 year olds sitting around eating pizza saying, man, let's make a bucket list. Let's just do crazy things. And like, that's a lot of fun. And if that's where your story goes, it's worth tracking. Like it's really, yeah. it's remarkable. If it's only that, the fact that you tethered it to, and every time we accomplish something, we give back, we help someone else achieve something on their bucket list. W when did that concept come forward? Well, it's, it's interesting. It's twofold. One, we thought that who would care about us doing our list item? Like, it's just like we thought that you know, let's make this film about helping other people accomplish their dreams. And by the way, on the side, we'll do our list because it'll be super fun. And so that's what we kind of thought the film was going to be about was about helping other people. And it was just inherent in what we just felt like was was going to be the mission for for this film. We also knew that we were we were going to need help with our list inevitably right. because there's no way we could accomplish those things. So. People were going to help us. It would be a good way to pay that forward. But the the thing that actually was a, a kind of an aha moment as we started to go after our list and accomplish some of the goals, and people started to hear about it, and we started to get emails from people through our website, is people were starting to get inspired to go after their list just because we were going after ours. Yeah. So we thought that people wouldn't care about our list and us our pursuits, but they wanted a to help us accomplish all the things on our list. So we started, people, people said, hey, I saw your list and write a bull, I can help. I saw your list and get in a hundred balloon, I can help. You know, And then they were inspired to go after their list because just by our actions, and we that's when we started to learn this idea of the ripple effect, that it's not selfish to go after your personal goals or the things that you want in your life, your passions, whatever. It's actually service because by doing what you love, you inspire other people to do what they love. And I'm sure you've experienced that with what you do is that, you know, just by you doing what you love, you've inspired so many other people to do that thing that they want to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, th this can be at a grand scale or it can just be on a micro scale where you don't know the impact. But like, let's say you want to learn how to play a sport or learn how to play an instrument and you, you just dedicate yourself and you, you're not doing it for anyone else. You're just doing right. it because you love to do it. And all of a sudden someone says, oh, you know, I saw you play the violin. It just was, it just inspired me to think, you know, I need to go pick up, you know, my uh, cello or something like that. Yeah, so by you doing the thing that you love, you've inspired others. So when you do something incredible, just for the love of it, it ends up having this ripple effect. And so this was a, a wild revelation years later, looking back and thinking, wow, this is something that, you know, is, is not selfish. You know, we thought a bucket list was selfish and it's actually not, uh, it's service. Right. So, so that was cool to, to, to experience that. And, and, um, and we you know, ultimately found that helping other people accomplish their goals was just more meaningful, you know? Mm. So we could go through the list. Why don't you take off like 
10 things that were on the list. You don't need to read all 100, but just to give our listeners and our viewers some context, like we're not just saying, you know, none of these were layups. These were all, wow, that's out there. So what, what were a couple of the items on the list? Yeah, and the reason they were out there is because we had two rules when we wrote the list. You had to pretend you had a 10 million bucks in your bank and you had to pretend that anything was possible. It was play basketball with President Obama, go to space, <laughs> sit with Oprah, have a beer with Prince Harry, write a number one New York Times bestseller, sing the national anthem at a packed stadium, do a sketch with Will Ferrell, you know, get in the Guinness World Records, ride a bull, you know, make a TV show. <laughs> and so, you know, they were absurd. And we never thought we would do uh, really any of them. Yes. Uh, but over time, as this journey continued, uh, we found that those things that we thought were impossible, they ended up coming to fruition. And, and so we proved to ourselves that these things were possible. And that, that changed our, you know, at least my core belief system about what was possible. And so my view is that anyone has the ability to change their own, that own, their own belief system about what they're able to do by proving to themselves right. that they can do it by taking small steps of action and ultimately reaching that goal before they really realize that they've come so far. And that's what happened with us. And so, yeah, this two week road trip ended up lasting, you know, 14 plus years. And, and, and ultimately, you know, we, we were able to cross off these list items that we, we were convinced were just out, out of our, out of our reach. So it's been, it's been a wild journey. Rather than beginning with you uh, shooting baskets over Obama right now, or you toasting back with Prince Harry, I, I, I'm going to begin with a guy named Brent. Yeah, yeah. You know, Because he's not on your bucket list. He wasn't yeah. one of the 100 guys that you wanted to meet or 100 things you wanted to accomplish or 100 cities you wanted to see. Yeah. He ends up being, in some regards, far more important than the items you um, were more self-directed to obtain. So talk about Brent and how you met him and what he means to not only you, but to our listeners. Brent was the first person that we ever helped back in 2006, right? So that's the timeline of this story is it starts in the right. summer of 2006. We bore an RV, we get a camera on eBay, we work two jobs during the summer so we could save up enough to you know, buy a camera and hit the road. We start to get emails trickling in through our website as we hit local news and then, you know, provincial news, all of a sudden it's national news. And this guy sends us an email says, Hey, my name's Brent. Before I die, I want to bring pizzas down to the homeless shelter. And mm -hmm. so at that point, that was one of the first things we could help with because we thought, well, we can afford some pizzas. Let's go interview Brent. We learned that the reason he wants to bring pizzas down to the homeless shelter is because he had lived in that homeless shelter for a few years. And he said, when people came in with food, uh, to the shelter, it felt like the best day because it felt like someone actually cared about him in a world where not many people cared about him. And we found he pulled himself out of that homeless shelter by starting his own landscaping business. That landscaping business relied on his truck, but his old truck had broken down. So his whole business and livelihood, you know, was in, in peril or it, on the rocks. And so we thought we got to figure out a way to get this guy a truck. So the four of us, you know, we have this plan. He doesn't know it. We have $480 between the four of us. <laughs> we go to a used car salesman. We say, sir, there's this gentleman in your community. His name is Brent. He needs a truck. What's your cheapest truck? He said, 2,100 bucks. We said, we got 480. <laughs> and he gives us the truck for $480. And he pays for the insurance out of his own pocket. We drive the truck up to Brent, toss him the keys. And he 
just bear hugs me and starts to cry, doesn't let go for a long time. And he, you know, it's just, I don't think he had ever had people show any type of generosity to him. And he, uh, he was you know, beside himself. And, and, you know, so that was the first experience. And we thought, whoa, That's we got to keep doing this. <laughs> you know, that was a game changer for us. We'd never gone out of our way to help someone we didn't know. We never volunteered in high school or done any of that. So this was a, a, a shift for us. And so that was, we knew this was bigger than us. And also we had to keep going. And so, and that was the catalyst to, to, to do so. And we stayed in touch with Brent. The next year we, we went back, we helped him get into his first year at community college to finish his high school diploma, stayed in touch with him through that. And he started a new and used uh, shop. That was the first person. What was it hard for you? And is it hard for you to do it for the right reason rather than doing it for the viewer? If you know what I mean? Like when you're in real time with a camera following you around, mm -hmm. is it hard for you to be you mm -hmm. when it's so easy to fall in the trap of acting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good, it's a great question. Luckily, the way we graduated to television was we did it on our own for three years or so, right? So we, the TV show aired in 2010. We started in 2006. We would do it every summer. We'd film, we'd go mm -hmm. on big road trips. We felt like the authenticity was what made it special. And so when we moved into getting the show, we weren't going to sign on to do a show unless we were executive producers. So we were able to call the shots on how things were made, the create, you know, the creative decisions. And we battled to create an environment where we could be ourselves. And it wasn't easy because, you know, you go from four guys running gun on a camera to 30 people on a set. They're wanting to clear location. You know, they wanted to clear, uh, you know, releases for people because you need that for TV. And we're saying, no, 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 we're going to go in and do it on our own. We'll get the clearance later. We had to battle, we had to fight. And ultimately we, we were able to prove that we could do that. And so, you know, we had to create the environment for us to do that. And also um, just know that that was the only way we were going to be successful was by being really honest and open. And, you know, that's why I talked about struggling with depression on the show in like, you know, I think it 2010 on MTVs wasn't something that generally was talked about a lot, but it was important for me because I knew that so many people were struggling and there, you know, people weren't talking about, it. I knew that we wanted to help someone that has story that involved mental health, you know? So we found someone that had struggled with cutting and, you know, she, she, was, she wanted to, to, to have an event where she talked about it to her community. When, when it was people that we helped, we just made sure that one of us connected to the story in a real way. And that was the person that spearheaded that. So you could just tell, you know, when you talked with someone that sent in their dream or whatever, that it was for the right reasons too, which was important as well, right? These weren't just people yeah. that wanted something paid for. And I think we had a pretty good litmus, te litmus test for that. You have like this crazy highlight reel that people can go to online if they choose, where they can see you shooting baskets with Barack Obama or hanging with Oprah, or look at the launch of the number one national best-selling book that you guys wrote on and on and on and on. But I'm curious, is there one that seems less glamorous that is like, you know, John, it's one of my favorites because this thing happens. So do you have, do you have one that seems like it might disappear into the shadows, but it's actually worth bringing up into the light? A few of them, but like quickly, you know, um, kiss the Stanley cup. We were able to do that on the very first tour, 2006. So right. as four Canadian guys, <laughs> the fact that we 
were able to do that, you know, was just blew us away. So that was our marker for, wow, I thought that was, you know, impossible. And, and, and I think that what that proved to me is that there's no goal that's greater than any other goal. You know, yes, we have a, a big list items, you know, moonshots, play basketball with the president, go to space. They're, they're no better or, or than the list items that are like grow mustache, spend quality time with my family, make sure I, I take time for a walk every day. The only thing that's important about a bucket list is that it's important to you. Yeah. Like that's the that's the rule. That's my rule anyways. It brings you joy and happiness. When you write your list, you just want to think about all those things that are going to bring you that joy and happiness. And then you write them down because you make it real and then you're able to build accountability and you start to carve out time to do those things so you don't forget about them because they get buried. That's just what happens. When, so, when you yeah. use the word accountability, I, I always think of a colleague to help me, his spouse, mm -hmm. uh, you, a friend, three guys in an RV. It could be a, a whole lot of ways we set this up, but how important is it to not go in alone? Hugely important. You're 77% more likely to achieve your goal if you have someone checking in with you down the lines. That's a huge leg up on other people that don't have any type of accountability partner. If you think about what happens in the professional setting, there are many different accountability structures. You have leaders that check in on you. You have a salary to keep you accountable. You have colleagues, you know, you don't want to look bad. You know, all of these things drive you forward. Uh, you know, you have your, your ego, your stature, you know, all of these things, whether they're good or bad, they create this accountability. So you're like, I got to keep doing my job <laughs> and it works with our personal goals. There's no accountability. There's no deadlines. So we continually say, I'll do it next week. I'll do it next year until 76% of people reach their deathbed. And their single biggest regret in their entire life is I wish I would have lived my ideal self, not the life someone else wanted for me. So, so most people, when they reach their deathbed, they, they, they don't regret the things they did. They regret the things they didn't do. And I believe a lot of those things are, you know, things that you put on your list. So you, all those personal goals. Will you talk to me just for a moment? Cause when I, I love your story, I love what you guys have done. I love the impact in other people's lives because of your courage of taking that first step. Like it's, it's just a beautiful story. And I think our listeners right now and my friends who tune in, my family, my mom's listening right now. Mama, shout out to you. You know, I love you. But but most of hey, us, mom. hey, mom, that's oh, right. Ben, Ben's giving you a shout out too. Most people hear this stuff and then they go back to the spreadsheet and then they go back to changing diapers and then they go back to the carpool line. Then they go back to getting dinner ready, the, the dishes, exhausted, they go to bed, wash, mm -hmm. repeat and do it again. And that stuff's that's actually the good stuff. The mundane mm -hmm. stuff is not. It's that's where the good stuff is found. Mm -hmm. But also in living that on repeat, we're at risk of being part of that stat you mentioned a moment ago, where you wake up and it's not the things you did do, you regret, it's what you chose not to do. Mm -hmm. So man, help us take a deep breath, exhale, and start making our list. What for those who have done this in their own life, what have they done to? to really not just hear something that inspired them, but to take action on it. Well, you, you said it, it, you know, first it's take a second and take a deep breath, <laughs> you know, because you want to take some time by yourself to just breathe and think about what's important to you. That's the first step, Yeah. you know, and, and so take 20, 30 minutes and write your list. So grab a piece of paper, ideally, 
a journal, something that you can come back to, to um, revisit your list as you grow and change. Your list will evolve and grow and change. So just think about your list as a living, breathing document of those things that you know are going to bring you joy and happiness. And that's going to change as you change. So the first step is take time. Imagine you have all the money in the world. Imagine you can do anything. Take away the barriers for a second and just write everything you've ever wanted to do. Everything that you might regret not doing if you die tomorrow, you know, and think about all categories of your life. We typically think adventure travel when we think yeah. about a bucket list, but that's one category of life. There are 12 categories of life from dream um, manage the book, the dream manager from by Matthew Kelly. It's a great book, but talks about the there's the intellectual bucket. There's emotional bucket. What fears do you over want to come over? Do you want to overcome? There's um, material. Do you, are there things you want to buy? That's great. Go for it. You know, you save up for that dream watch. Awesome. Is that going to bring you the joy and happiness that you want? Um, is it uh, something that's professional? What were your professional goals? Look at all aspects of your life, write them down. And now you've taken a great step. You've created a bit of accountability because you've made those ideas real. Now they're not just thoughts, they're tangible. You have a reminder that they exist. You can come back to them when you get buried by the day-to-day and say, oh yeah, these are the things I want to do. And now what you want to do, I believe, is you want to create accountability. Okay. And so what does that look like? You want to share these goals. You want to share them with you, right? You want to share them with your family. You want to share them with your friends. You want to find someone that maybe can actively check in on you down the line and accountability, buddy. Um, because when we speak our goals, we feel accountable to those people. So I tell you, John, you know what? I can't wait for you to see this new book I'm working on. I'm going to launch it next year. You know, uh, you're going to love it. And you say, great. And you, Jen, then you check up on me, say, hey, how's that book coming? I say, crap. You know, I told John I'd do that book. <laughs> you want to start to share those, those list items. And if you can, look at those things in your list that are important and you want to start breaking them down, right? So you want to break those goals down into smaller steps and now you have a plan and so you the, you said that first step is, is is the hardest what's the easiest first thing you can do to move you just a fraction closer to that goal you don't have to think about how you're going to get the, to the end result we had no idea how we were going to play basketball with president obama right we just thought well the first thing and only thing we can think of let's drive to dc let's start asking people on the street do you know anyone at the White House? <laughs> right? Didn't work. Didn't get us very far. But while we were in D.C., we started to learn things. We started to understand that, oh, you know, this isn't the way to contact people uh, in the White House. They actually have their information listed on their website because you can contact local politicians through their website. So let's start sending emails to anyone we can find a publicly listed email to. And so, you know, we start to take meetings and ultimately get a little bit closer. The idea is break down those bigger list items into smaller tangible steps. Because what you want to do is you want to start taking steps towards your goals to create inspiration through action, because you won't feel inspired to go after that thing. It's not just going to hit you out of the blue and think, yes, now I'm going to pick up the guitar and learn how to play. Like you need to pick up the guitar, start playing, and you will start to feel inspiration as you go. So you're the architect of your own inspiration by taking action. Um, so the, so Accountability and inspiration through action are the things we need to create to drive us towards those personal goals. I'm going to pause the conversation with Ben just for a moment to let you know that I believe 
in the power of making bucket list. I believe in the power of setting these big, huge, audacious goals. And then, this part's really important, and then having the wisdom and the courage and the audacity to step toward them, to step toward them. So not only to imagine something that is, is possible, but to move toward it. One of the goals that I've had for a long time in my life is to one day travel to Europe with my little ones, to take my wife to travel the Rhine River in a boat and to allow my kids, my family to experience the grandeur of Europe. And guess what? In 2022, that's exactly what we're doing. The O'Leary family, we will be in Switzerland on June 8th, I think the date is, and we'll be slowly making our way up the Rhine River for about eight days, going in and out of castles, having beautiful meals, checking in the sights and the sounds and the joy and the beauty of Europe along the Rhine. And my friends, not only are my four kids coming, not only is my wife I think she's coming still. Not only are my mom and dad coming, but I'm inviting you to come with us. So if you'd like to learn more about what I consider to be a trip of a lifetime, I'll be presenting in the mornings just a little bit to get us uh, in awe for the day to come. But if you'd like to learn more about this trip, about the castles we'll see, about the river we'll travel, about the individuals who are going, and about how you can sign up for your cabin today let me encourage you right now to grab a pen, to write down this number, and to call my friend Rodney. Call my friend Lisa. Call my friend Mary. But call my friends and make sure that you learn more about this trip. Uh, you won't want to miss it. So the number that you should be reaching out to today, this is going to sell out quickly, is 314-369-8232. One more time, if you'd like to join us on the trip of a lifetime. This is maybe an item on your bucket list and in... June of 2022, you can knock this one off your bucket list. It's to join the O'Leary family on the, the Rhine River. Let's do it together. 314-369-8232. Now, back to my friend, the man who has created the bucket list and is living into the bucket list. His name is Ben Nempton. Ben, when you look back at this crazy journey since 2006, it's been wild, man. Just epic. What's the primary takeaway for you? Like what, what surprises you most about the life that you've lived for the last 15 years? I mean, you had mentioned this in the beginning, you know, this idea of uh, when you're young, you don't know any better. You're naive, you know, the whole young, dumb and broke. As we get older, we have more responsibilities. You know, people are probably thinking, well, yeah, it's easy to jump in an RV when you're 20 years old and travel around the country and go after these crazy things because you don't have any a family at home, perhaps, so you don't have the responsibilities that, that mm -hmm. I have now. And that's true. But you can still maintain that youthful spirit and, and maintain that youthful naivete. Because sometimes we think, you know what? Yes, I want to do that, but let's, let's weigh the risks. Let's look at what might go wrong. And ultimately, that stifles us. Instead yes. of just being like when we were young, you know, let's just charge at and see what happens. I find that sometimes we get paralyzed in that indecision. So if you can maintain some of that youthful spirit and just say, you know what, like, what's the worst that can happen? Let's look at the real fears here. 
you know, the real risks. Am I going to lose my shelter? You know, my, my, my health, is my health at risk? Is it, you know, a real, real financial risk? Um, you know, and if, and if those things that, you know, if you have your basic needs met, you know, is, is it, or is it more thinking, are you afraid of what other people think? Are you afraid of, of, of failure? And, and those are the distinguishing things that you might want to just look at. And then, and, and, you know, use your future self as, as the metric. Are you going to regret not doing it? If your future self laying on your deathbed says, I'm going to regret it. If I don't do it, you, I believe you have to do it. What's the one item on the bucket list that you're most excited about next? Finish the movie, you know, make a movie is on the list. And we started the buried life to make that movie and we just kept filming. <laughs> so we'd like to cross off number 100, which is go to space and, and finish the, the film as well. And so those are the two that are on the original 100 that, that we, at least I would love to, to, to finish. But again, like I've added many things since then. And so I think that's important to note as well. It's like you grow, your list grows, keep revisiting it every couple months and update it. Mm. You had a list of hundred, you accomplished what, 91, 92 of them from the original list, maybe more than that at this point. But at some point that journey begins to slow down. And at some point, you're not sitting next to Oprah anymore. You're not shooting baskets with Barack Obama. The lights are a little bit duller and you return from that high back to life. Was that difficult to come down from that peak experience? You know, yeah. The good thing is that it, it happened organically slowly over time. And as we sort of thought, well, I guess we don't really want to do some of those outrageous list items anymore, you know, streak a field and get away with it is not something <laughs> I'd like to do. <laughs> you know, we graduated on to the next evolution of what we were doing. And I think it's, that's all about sort of just recycling, you know, your career or those things that you want to do. And so now I get the most passion out of, uh, or fired up the most about speaking, you know, and, and doing this type of work that you do, which is like, you can see the impact you're making on people in the room. You can literally see transformation, which you can't do online. You can't do with a TV show. You can't do with a book necessarily, unless you meet the readers or the, the viewers, but you can actually like, it, it's, it's, it, it, I just think it's amazing that you can in 60 minutes, you know, change someone's life a little bit. It was the right time for us to go after those moonshots and, uh, and now the goals are different. It's awesome. You, you mentioned at the beginning, so this is where we'll leave it here in a moment, that it was a mental health crisis that, that drove you into that room with three other guys to begin creating a bucket list, to begin reimagining what matters most to you in your life, and then mm-hmm. to begin checking those boxes and saying, yes, we can do that. And we can also help someone else do that. As you look at your life in 2021, we're now a year into a global pandemic and the headwind continues to blow and everything else we're dealing with. What are some ideas that you utilize that maybe some of our listeners and viewers can check out to manage their mental health, to make sure that they remain vibrant and healthy and connected and alive? I mean, I'm really glad you brought this up. I think the first thing to know is that you feeling any type of anxiety or depression is is just totally okay. If you look at the, the rate that depression and anxiety has increased since the pandemic. I think it's last time I checked was 400% of people that have had increased feelings of these type. And I think that knowing that human beings have ups and downs and that's just, there's no way around that. That's the, the human experience to understand that when you hit that down, that's okay. 
Um, but what's not okay is not talking about it. You, you need to find someone that cares about you to voice these worries that you have in your head, these struggles that you're having. Ideally, a therapist, if you have access to a therapist or a counselor. And, you know, I know sometimes there's barriers to entry to those types of, you know, resources. But, you know, if not a family member or a friend that you can speak to about these things that you're going through, because when you talk about your struggles, you're able to break them down. You're able to work through them a little easier. You, you know, they're harder to, to manage when you're just trying to crack them in your head. Also, you give other people the chance to help you when you talk about them. So you're, you know, you're not only giving, yeah. you know, a friend a chance to, to help you, you're also opening the door for them to come back to you in their eventual time of need, which will happen, right? Because again, this is a human experience. So that would be my first point of it. It's just, can you, can you share what you're going through ideally to a professional? And then it's learning things that you know are good for you, right? Like I call this my resilience toolkit or my mental health toolkit where I can reach in and, and pull out these habits that I know I'll just make me feel better, right? So it's things like meditation, your mindfulness it could be meditation. It could be a mindfulness walk. It could be breath, you know, taking a couple breaths through your lower ab abdomen to release that stress that you're feeling. It could be exercise. It could be purpose, going after those things that are important to you. Like focusing on the bucket list items that you know you really want to do. It could be getting out in nature because that brings you a sense of, of well-being. Building your, your toolkit, I think, is, is important. And, and, you know, talking with your friends, seeing what they do. Everyone has, has their own things that, will, that work for them, but it's worth exploring and, and, and trying different things. A lot of these things don't cost any money. You're just, you're, totally. just, you're just going for it to see what works for you. And I candidly think one of the things that got you out of the rut when you were a young man was not only stretching yourself toward really these aspirational goals, but serving as you as you turn the attention from you know your own kicks and your own academics and your own level of success towards someone else. Mm -hmm. um, man, for, for so many, it's been discovered to be highly therapeutic, highly helpful. And so, my friend, as we get ready to wrap up, one of the other things that helps frequently to shift uh, the attention from anxiety is recognizing what you put into your soul will influence you. And so what you listen to influences you, but also what you read will influence you. So my question is, what is the most influential or impactful or maybe the best book you've ever read? Oh, wow. Really good question. This is a, this is a hard one to answer. I'm reading a book right now that I think is really fantastic is The Overstory, which is an incredible book. And it's about trees and, uh, and nature and, and how they play just an, an incredible part of our life. And so uh, I'm just about halfway through it. And it's, it's, it's phenomenal. So that's something that I would recommend reading. And another book that I think is, is really good is called The Third Door which is written by a friend of mine named Alex Benayan. His goal was to find the, the greatest business people of our time, or just the most, the most successful people of our time and ask them how they did it when in the beginning, you know, when they were his age, cause he was in college wondering how he was going to make his mark. So the third door is also a, a phenomenal read of a young, young person, just, just trying to make it and then learning some incredible lessons. So hmm. yeah, those are the two. Awesome. I had not heard of the of the first, and I'm going to check it out. It sounds uh, fascinating. And the third door is a great read. So congratulations on being his friend. The question number two, this is called the Live Inspired Seven. So you are uh, you're already two questions into it. 
what is one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little guy growing up in British Columbia that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I think it would be that naivete. You know, I think sometimes I, I overthink things too much. I get too much in my head around taking action or doing different things that, I, that I've been wanting to do for a while. You get caught up with uh, listening to other people's when I was younger, I just, you know, we didn't even care what other people thought. We didn't, right. we, we never really even told anybody one what we were doing because we didn't think they would understand. And so we didn't, we just wanted to do something that was going to be fun and also allow us to be creative. And I, I think what I learned through that was that being creative is so therapeutic. You know, I think it's such an important part of, of or piece of wellness is because when you're creative, you're letting out a, ver a piece or version of yourself. that's just so true. I like to think that if I could, hold on to more of that it would be a, it would be a good thing then if your home caught fire and all living things are out family pets friends everybody's outside and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item that really matters to you what would you grab i would probably grab my grandfather passed away but i i kept some of his uh his mugs from when he was in the war. I, I never used to use them. They were in my cupboard and now I, I, I use them all the time. <laughs> so, you know, when I'm making uh, some sort of, some sort of drink. And so I, you know, I, I probably, I'd probably grab something like that, that he passed on or I got from, from him. My home office, you know, I only saved three things for my grandfather as after he passed away about a decade ago. But those are some of the things that I would go in and get too, because it reminds us of service and love and faithfulness and, and family and grandpa. And so sometime I hope to toast you with one of my grandfather's <laughs> mugs while you're sipping from one of your grandfather's. That'd be great. <laughs> if, you, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a perfect day and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, who would you want to be visiting with? I, I got a, just a quick glimpse of a conversation, uh, you know, with President Obama uh, and we, we had about 15 or 20 minutes with him and it was really impactful, but I would love to sit down and actually, you know, ask him some, some more questions. And I think that he would be that person that, that I would talk to just because he was so genuine and, and, and it was so easy to be around him. You immediately forgot he was the president. He just had this, this, this aura about him that you, when you shook his hand, you just knew that it was someone that was really great. <laughs> What's the best advice, whether it came from Barack or anybody else, whether you met them or you read them? So what's the best advice you've ever received? The truth will set you free. You know, I think that that can be, it can apply to many different aspects of your life. But when you think about those buried dreams, or if it's just something that you're holding on to, at the end of the day, that's sort of the same thing. It's yeah. stopping you from being the full expression of yourself. It's very simple, but it, I think it's it's a good mantra to live by. Profound. What advice or encouragement would you would you give your twenty year old self? So if you could go back in time as you're on this old beat down RV beginning to circle North America, what advice would you give yourself? Probably just slow down and smell the roses. <laughs> totally. You know, because we were pretty driven to the point of could be one of my faults. So I was uh, you know, always wanting to go for the next thing. And I think that, you know, if I, if I look back, I, I probably would have been like, look, take a second, enjoy the accomplishments and live in the moment as, as well. And I think that that's something that would have been a good piece of advice.
And I think I can use that as well now. I'm working on it. The, the pandemic is one of the silver linings is that's helped slow down everyone. Forced slowdown, man. So the final question is this, Ben. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Ben Empton, how would you like your one sentence to read? Probably, what do you want to do before you die? Yeah. He asked it and he answered it, man. Ben, you, you've got a remarkable life story. I really appreciate you living it, you teaching it, you sharing it through your book, through your work, through your speeches, and now today on the Live Inspired Podcast. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you having me and uh, hopefully we'll be able to see each other in person someday soon. I'm expecting it. My friends, that is Ben Nempton. I am John O'Leary and today is your day. Live inspired. And now a word from our friends at Keeley Companies. Keeley Companies aspires to be a true leader for businesses and communities. In the words of their CEO, my friend, his name is Rusty Keeley, with a world-class culture focused on people and customer-centric approach. We're truly in the business of people. Check more out about Keeley Companies at KeeleyCompanies.com.